Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I'm the host of the Sendcast. We started the Sendcast a few years ago as a way to help improve knowledge around SEND. Yes, there is lots of stuff you can go and read, but we're all really busy and we don't have time to sit and read. Everyone working in schools needs training and support around SEND, but the funding isn't there to achieve this. And often it's only the Senko getting trained. We want to help make schools more inclusive, to help teachers be teachers of SEND, and to help support staff be more aware. The Sendcast lets us get the same consistent message to schools and parents. Every week on the Sendcast, we have a guest on to talk about something they are passionate about. And this week, we are talking about supporting pupils with attachment anxiety with my guest, Dr. Trisha Walters. Trisha is an educational therapist and director of the Centre for Therapeutic Storywriting. The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B-Squared. Over the last 25 years, we have supported schools to support students with SEND. Over the last few years, we have diversified. Yes, we will focus on assessment, it's our main thing, but we have seen a lack of high quality, easy to access training and CPD for all staff in schools around SEND. Our online CPD offering, Training for Education, started a couple of years ago with a virtual SEND conference, but now includes a range of training courses as well as our conferences. You can find out more about our conferences and training courses by going to the Training for Education website, www.trainingforeducation.com. And at the end of the episode, I'll be sharing an exclusive SENDcast discount code, so keep listening. Let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing the use of mindfulness to support emotional literacy with my guest, Dr. Trisha Walters. Trisha is an educational therapist and Trisha began her career supporting pupils with emotional and behavioral difficulties. After this, she led the MA in SEN and Inclusion at the University of Chichester and is now the director of the Center of Therapeutic Storywriting. Welcome to the show, Trisha. Thanks for inviting me along. You're welcome. Over the last few years, mindfulness has become more topical and right now, with all the challenges we are facing, we all need a little bit more mindfulness. Yeah, I completely agree. For me, in my personally, I've used mindfulness for many years, and it, it took me a while to um, muster the courage to start doing it with children. I was working in the primary school, and um, I mean that was quite a few years ago now, and I was just amazed by how the children could engage with this, even hyperactive boys that I work with who you thought would never sit still, how they could become really focused. And um, I started to use it in all sorts of uh, situations with small groups, with vulnerable children, in assemblies, in class. And um, yeah, I find it very, very helpful. I've I've used it. So my, my daughters get a little bit anxious and they worry about lots of things in the future or they're worrying about things in the past and i suppose we've bit we've I've, I've i've used is i've talked about what's good about now type thing i've tried to bring them into where we are at the moment the future's miles away what's going on right now in your life what are you thankful for what's good and they worry about all this stuff and it's like bringing them to now and realizing it's not that bad we're quite good where we are um 
they kind of they don't have those skills i think yeah um i think that's a really good point in in a sense if you can if you want to define what uh, mindfulness is um one sort of definition you can give it's about becoming awareness of the present and um yeah and particularly uh, when I'm working with vulnerable children in therapeutic story writing groups, for instance, they come in in a state of what we can call emotional preoccupation. You know, they've just been kicked off the football pitch because they can't play by the rules or there's been a big row between parents at home or best friends gone off with someone else. And they're not able to focus on the educational task and learning has to happen in the moment. You know, if you're learning to drive, but you're thinking about your shopping at Sainsbury's, you're not going to really develop the skills very well. So it's about helping children, as you said with your daughter, to be, come into the present, into the now. Yeah, and I think it is. It's really important. We all do that. You're sitting there, you, you're, you're in the middle of something, and you're worrying about something else. And you'll know that suddenly something said, and you look at it, or someone looking at you, and you're going, why are you looking at me? And it might be that you're expecting you to, and you're literally going, oh, oh, and you're not there. So there are lots of times we all drift off. So if we do it as adults, children will also be doing it. Then it is they're worrying about what's just happened or um, something might have happened at school. They're worried about what their parents are going to say. So there's lots of worries that can enter their mind, and it's trying to help them let go of those worries and, and focus on the now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it's really interesting at the moment when I'm training professionals um, in the therapeutic story writing groups that I've talked about with you before, we always start with a bit of mindfulness tuning. And I start by saying um, who's done, who's got experience with mindfulness. And these days, I find the majority of teachers have got experience with, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, it was very rare to find somebody else who'd done mindfulness in an educational setting. And I think people like Ruby Wax, who've, you know, spoken in the media and written books and, and the work of John Kabat-Zinn, who's a doctor in the States, who's developed mindfulness-based stress reduction for hospital patients, and that's been well-researched, um, have really helped bring it more into the, uh, the, the consciousness today. And it seems very pleasing to see that it's, it's filtering through to educational professionals. So mindfulness isn't, we say it's like bringing into the present, but it's not just one thing you do which does that. There's lots of different parts to it. Um, so I only did the bits of it, and my, I know my friends have done some other parts. So it, it's so some people have experienced some of it, but there could be other stuff they're unaware of. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's very important to say at the beginning that this isn't set in a religious context. Mindfulness, if you like, was developed and you know honed particularly in Buddhism, a bit in, you know, other Eastern religions. But in fact, the work that's gone on in the West, like particularly with John Kabat-Zinn, the, the doctor in the States I mentioned just now, it's been taken out of the religious context and just um, used as a way to deal with awareness in the mind to bring us into the present moment. Um, and then coming back to your question, what are the different ways we can do it? Well, from, from that you know, wealth of that tradition, there are different ways into coming into the moment. It's very much about linking the mind and the body. And there are different ways we can do that. Um, 
basically using the senses. So we can do it with sound, we can do it with taste, uh, we can do it with watching the breath, we can do it with becoming aware of sensation in the body, and we can do it with sound. And my experience with children um, is that there are better ways to do it with children, particularly primary age children, pre-adolescent, thinking about where they are in their development. So, um, yeah, I can try to talk more about that. <laughs> yeah, 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 please, please do, yes. <laughs> okay, so I think this is quite important because the primary age children, well, if we talk about children between six, seven and um 12 years, uh, you know, key stage two, key stage three, particularly pre-adolescent. I think we need to remember Piaget's fantastic work that he did all those years ago, how children pre-adolescent are in um, what he called the concrete developmental stage. I call that what you see is what you get, you know. Um, so at adolescence, the ability to think abstractly or meta with metacognition comes online and neuroscientists can, can actually observe that now in the, in the neurons of the brain. Um, and I think in terms of relating that to mindfulness, what I find interesting is a lot of people, adults have experienced watching the breath. But my experience working with children, younger children, is that is not terribly helpful because to observe the breath is, like a metacognitive skill. So what I found is that working on that much more concretely with the children can be very effective. And so there are two, I mean, those different ways I mentioned as ways into mindfulness, you know, you can use one or the other or both. And what I find works with children of this age range, primary age range, is Sound. So I use bells, listen to the sound of the bells, notice when the sound has faded away. Then we go into the body. We start with the feet. Are your feet hot or cold? Does one feel different to the other? And we go through the body and the child connects with um, sensation, how they're feeling. So the exercise, and this is also quite important, is kinesthetic. The child is not being asked to sit there and relax and empty their mind. You know, a lot of the children I've worked with and, and, and your listeners will work with, that would be a complete non-starter. We're not asking them to sit there, do nothing. We're asking them to do something. Listen to the sound of the bells. Notice when it has faded away. Become aware of your feet. And all of us, including children, are very interested in our own bodies, how we feel in it. And also, we go into the emotional literacy from this concrete sensing of the body, particularly because all emotions have a physiological aspect. And even as adults, we can miss that, you know, because often it's a split second. You start to feel hot, something moves in your solar plexus and then some rage. <laughs> Just, you know. But it's mindfulness is a lot about noticing noticing when those feelings first arrive in that split second. And only then can we learn to manage those feelings 
we can reflect on those feelings. Otherwise, we're reacting out of awareness. So this is what I would say for this age range. It's about keeping it concrete. Sound, are your feet hot or cold? Really concrete. And then going on to how have you felt so far today? And getting them to name, name some of those feeling words. So the awareness goes to the emotions they've experienced. And then we finish by writing down two of those feeling words. So we're moving into extending the emotional vocabulary because, again, unless children have got the words to um, describe their emotions, they're going to react to them. They can only reflect if they've got the language. It sounds it sounds great, and I look at that, and I and I, I always love. I, I'm not always a dead devil's advocate, but I, um, my nephews uh, and one one of he has autism, and he really struggles to identify how he feels. So he, if he went through that process, he said, well, how have you felt today? He probably wouldn't be able to answer. And, and interestingly, he, he was only kind of made aware recently that he really didn't understand his feelings. So you could literally he could point to face and say, happy, sad, this, that, but ask him how he feels. And he's not being, he can't answer that. So um, he, he is someone where my thought is in that sort of thing, how have you felt today? He would just shrug in that situation. He wouldn't be able to actually express how he's felt. Yeah, obviously um, there's a huge spectrum of um, ability on the uh, children with the autistic spectrum conditions. So can't generalise really for all children with, with those conditions, but... Um, I think I would suggest starting with something very concrete, you know, are your feet hot or cold? You know, how do your knees feel? And and probably that would to start with that and then gradually introducing perhaps um, in conjunction with other resources that that the um, that he's been using to identify perhaps picture cards, you know, that would be a particular, particular um support for, for a child with autistic spectrum conditions. So Yeah, so it's, it's just going through and being aware that when we're doing this, not all children will be able to participate fully. It's understanding where their limitations are. And it might make you more aware that they are unable to understand their feelings because you may not have really discussed children's feelings in the classroom before. And this mindfulness might be the first one where they're telling you they have no idea how they felt. Well, it's interesting you say about can all children participate? Um, when I was running a program for Young Minds, it's a two-year project funded by the Department for Education, we we worked, um, I was delivering therapeutic story writing groups and also story links intervention, but I, I did training for some of the senior managers in the schools to give them a taste of some of the things we do in the interventions. And one of them was this fairly short mindfulness exercise that goes into feelings. And um, I did it with them on the training day in London. And they went back and did it with their staff in two schools. They did it with their staff. And the staff said, oh, this is great. Let's do it with the whole school. And I was amazed that those two schools in, in Tottenham started, and hopefully they still are. I don't know when I checked up with them a bit later, they were still doing it. They started doing this exercise with the whole school every day after big play to help them settle. So it wasn't like just a, a niche thing. It became the whole school would be doing the mindfulness um, exercise. Wow. 
Excellent. Excellent. So before the podcast, you you said you wanted to give a demonstration of mindfulness. Um, and you have your little chimes ready. Uh, and it is important, if you are driving, please don't do the mindfulness bit yet. Um, make sure you're only doing the mindfulness bit when it's appropriate to. So you may want to come back to this bit. But um, you're going to take me through mindfulness and I'm going to be the person responding. So hopefully I'm going to respond in the correct way and not fall asleep. Yes. Okay, lovely. So um, this will be about five minutes. It's exercise. And uh, when you're doing it with children, you might make it a bit longer or a bit shorter. But I'm going to give you just a, a taste of the mindfulness exercise. So this does work best if you close your eyes. And um, when children can't close their eyes, I suggest they just put their, their heads on their arms on the desk. And I'm going to ask you, first of all, to listen to the sound of the bells. Notice when the sound has faded away. And then we're going to journey through our bodies to check how they're feeling. And finally, I'm going to ask you to find two feeling words that best describe how you're feeling at the moment. So listening to the sound of the bells. And as the sound fades, notice any other sounds in your room or outside the room. And then just feeling the weight of your chair, the weight of your body supported by your chair. We're going to take our awareness down to our feet. So just notice how your feet feel. You can wiggle your toes. Are your feet hot or cold? Is there any tingling in your feet? Does one foot feel different to the other? And now we're going to slowly move up through the body. So through the ankles to the lower leg. Just notice if your calves are relaxed or tense. And moving up to the upper legs, the strong muscles that help us to run and walk. Notice if those muscles are relaxed or tense. Notice any sensation where they make contact with your chair, make contact with your clothes. And then we move up to the hips, again, feeling the weight of the hips on the chair. Notice if one feels different to the other. And then we take our awareness to the belly. Noticing any sensation with the natural rise and fall of the breath in the belly area. And then gently moving up to the chest area again, noticing any sensation with the natural rise and fall of the breath in the chest area.
And then we move to the shoulders. Notice if your shoulders are relaxed or tense. Notice if one feels different to the other. And then we slowly move down through the upper arms again, feeling the muscles of the upper arms, any sensation on the surface of the skin, through the elbows to the forearms, and down into the hands. Notice any tingling in the palms of the hands. Moving right down to the tips of the thumbs and the fingers. Notice any tingling there in this very sensitive part of the hands that help us to pick up pens and pencils to write and draw. Now we take our awareness to the back. Starting with the lower back. Moving up the spine, vertebra by vertebra. And also feeling those strong muscles across the back that help us to sit straight and to walk upright. Moving up to the muscles below the shoulder blades. Up to where the spine becomes the neck. Notice if your jaw is relaxed or tense. Notice if your tongue is relaxed or tense. And then moving up to the eyes, feeling the muscles right at the back of the eye sockets. Moving up over the forehead and over the scalp over the head that helps us to think and just notice any sensation. Now again, feeling the weight of your body on the chair, I invite you, still keeping your eyes closed, to recall the emotions that you've experienced so far today. Remembering waking up, how you felt, can you find some words to describe those feelings? Recall having your breakfast, what was said, what was done, how you felt over breakfast. Recall how your day has been so far, who you've met, what's been said, what's, what's happened, the feelings, that you've experienced. Again, trying to name those feelings. And then just noticing how you're feeling right now. When I ring your be my bells, just make a note of two emotions that best describe how you felt so far today.
So, how was that for you, Dale? <laughs> it was good. It was nice. It was nice. It was nice and relaxing. Yeah. And then I would so. usually start by also um, modelling, by saying, uh, giving two feelings. One uncomfortable, try not to use the word good, bad, positive, negative, say comfortable, uncomfortable. So um, I'd say my um, first feeling was I recalled feeling quite anxious about this new technology we're using doing this webcast. I wasn't sure if I was in properly. So there's sort of an anxious sense. and uh, But then feeling quite relieved and, and also pleased to, well, relieved, I would say, that we we linked up and uh, we're in process. So, yeah, anxious and relieved were my two feelings. So then... So it's interesting. When, yeah. And when, then, when, I, when it, I was thinking about my feelings... Go on, go on. You're good, you're good. I was just going to say, thinking about my feelings is I was sitting there going, oh, I'm worried about this. I'm going, that's not what I'm feeling now. That's the future. And I had to think about today. And and I would say I, I woke up, had breakfast, everything was fine. And I walked to work and I felt quite happy on my walk to work. And then uh, we had a big Teams meeting with everyone. And um, I had lots of fun and laughed lots. So uh, they're my feelings that I was able to reflect on. What were your two words then? Did you have two words? Um, I would say content and laughter. Nice, nice, nice. And so when we do it with um, children, if I was doing it in a class group, I would get them to go in pairs just for a couple of minutes each and they share with each other. So this helps develop their speaking and listening skills. When we're in therapeutic story writing groups, uh, they share with the group and that's just six children in there. So I think it is important to have the language and particularly if we're in the story writing groups we then make a feelings ladder and we put the feeling words that they've written slip of paper on the feelings ladder with comfortable at the top uncomfortable at the bottom and they have little bits of blue tack and they decide where their feelings going to go from comfortable to uncomfortable so that just gives a bit more reflection and it's quite interesting because um, you know, sometimes they might have the same word. And so pleased, I remember a session where one boy was pleased he'd found his pencil case that he'd lost. Another boy was pleased because he hadn't seen his dad for six months and he'd just come back. And so that boy said, but my pleased is very different to your pleased. So it just generates this discussion. So, you know, he decided where his pleased would go, whereas uh, quite often the same word will go on top of the other word. So, you know, it, it's it's about generating um, this reflection on the language and helping to develop the emotional vocabulary, but coming from this place of stillness. Yeah. And as I said, the first bit I thought of is how do I feel? And that's what I'm worried about. And I thought about something I'm worried about. And it's like, well, no, I haven't felt that today. So again, it's this thing I mentioned earlier is my daughter gets worried about the future. When you ask me how I feel, I generally think of well, what's coming up and how do I feel about that? I don't think about how I felt today. So you ask someone, how are you? And you oh, I'm worried. What about I've got a test coming up? And you're things like that, or you got my daughter's got her mocks and she's worried. I'm like, yeah, but right now, today. And sometimes that worry is there because they're supposed to be doing this. But other times... 
you got to help them let go of that and go, right, what has happened today and how has that made you feel? So I found it interesting. My first thing was thinking about the future and the whole exercise was being in the moment. Yeah. I mean, I think this is, uh, you know, this is a paradox of being human, isn't it? Like to, to really be in the moment feels good to be in the flow, you know, that people talk about in, in learning theory. Um, however, we do need to plan. We need to analyze and we need to learn from the past and plan the future. Um, I think the thing is we spend a lot of time reflecting on the past and planning the future and forget about the present. And this exercise, just for a few minutes to do it each day or to slot it in in the, the school day, can uh, just bring us a little bit back to ourselves. And feelings happen in the moment. If you're worried about what's going to happen tomorrow, you're actually, the worry is now. You know, things might be different when you actually get to tomorrow. So um, it's just having a little bit of time to really be present and also to think about the feeling words. And it's interesting, we use feeling words. You know, we say, I feel cold. You can say, I feel really upset. You can say, I feel confused. They're all quite different emotions, you know, and it can be useful to tease those out. So, you know, I feel cold is very much a body sensation. Um, I feel upset. Set is an emotional description. Um, I feel confused could be a thought rather than a feeling. You know, it, it's quite interesting, just the language. And also, um, and this can be teased out with, with children, you know, a child can say, I feel bullied. Well, in fact, that is attributing bullying to somebody else. And just, you know, teasing that out, perhaps what you're feeling is worried and upset and fearful because um, we can use feeling words to blame other people. Um, so it, it's there's a whole world in inside emotional literacy, which I find quite fascinating. So um, one of the things my the first real place I came across mindfulness was a couple of years ago, my friend he was quite stressed with life. He was, he was not having a great time. He was doing lots of worrying, um, which was really getting in his way. And he looked into mindfulness and he found these diaries and you can buy them on Amazon. And what he did is at the end of the day, he kind of wrote down, um, you'd write down, what are you worried about tomorrow? Because he was always worrying about something and he would worry about it. And then you get to the next day, and at the end of that day, so the first I would say, you obviously can write down what you're worried about. And when you get to the end of that next day, you go, what went well today? Yeah, okay. So, so that's like a solution. So, yeah. So because sometimes people struggle to live in the now because they're worrying about so many things, and they, they fail to see the positive. It's, it's hard to see, well, what is great about now? I've got all this stuff coming up, and it might be a child going, I'm going to secondary school next year. I've got all of this. All my friends are going to a different school and they can't see anything positive. They're worrying about lots of things in the future and, and looking at this, right, so what are you worried about? Um, what can you do about it? And, and it helped my friend sort of work through his worries. And after a while of writing it down, he was able to almost do it in his head. He was able to separate and lie in bed and go, actually, no, today what well, I was worried about that, but it went really well, which kind of helped him worry less about the next time that happened. So that was something which worked for him. 
Yeah, and I think that sort of writing down can create just a little bit of distance. So he's not completely immersed in it. There is a part of him, a sense of self, that can look at that. And I think this is what we're trying to develop with mindfulness, coming back to a centre where we're not completely taken up with everything that's going on. We can look at it. Yes, we might be feeling upset. We might be feeling worried. But in a sense, there's, by you know, standing back from it, we can see that is that is my worry. <laughs> and also what's interesting, with the children, we do the feelings ladder. We keep that going through the 10 weeks of the therapeutic story writing groups and we add to it and children can see that last week I was feeling really upset their words up there from last week but this week I'm feeling happy so they can also learn that feelings change and when we're feeling especially difficult feelings we don't it's easy to forget that this isn't forever you know I'm feeling upset but tomorrow I might feel and this just being aware, putting them up there on the feelings ladder can show the children that our feelings change. And again, that helps us not to get so, you know, bonded with them and take it on like that is all of us. This is me and they are my feelings. They can still be painful. I think that worry is important. It's important if you are worried to see that you come out the other side, that you might be worrying about a test result. You get the test result, this happens. Or you might be worried about something in the future, but some things happen that make you less worried about the future. And that hopefully that then when you next worry about the future, you've got some things to pull on that have happened to you. Well, I was worried about this and that was okay. So it helps you again, worry less the next time because you have already gone through something like this and this is what I did and I can do that again and I'll hopefully, or I might be able to do something else. But it's about using your past emotional experience to help you deal with your current emotions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not quite sure in the specific mindfulness ex the exercise we did just now that we are going that far. You know, we're talking about something that is like five, eight minutes long, just to bring the children into the moment. I mean, I think all of that is excellent and it goes into the realms of cognitive behaviour psychology and it goes into the realm of solution-focused therapy and all of that I think is absolutely fantastic. Um, in that little exercise we're doing, it was more just bringing the children who've come in an excited, perhaps upset state from the playground, helping them to be there. And um, I did a research project uh, um, into the therapeutic story writing groups and asked them about the mindfulness and I was actually quite amazed. We interviewed all the children in six schools who'd taken part in the intervention. I was quite impressed by the number of children who said doing this bit of mindfulness really helped them to relax, to get ready to move into the writing. And then they go into writing, um, you know, what we call the therapeutic stories where it, feelings are explored in more detail in characters that um, so it's not them writing about themselves, they're projecting feelings onto the story characters, which again keeps it a little bit at arm's length, less overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yes, that, that mindfulness is, is nice. And I can, I can really imagine it brings children in and 
it, it, it's going to get children ready for the day. So I can imagine, is that something you'd recommend doing in the morning or is it after like a big transition, like coming after play? When, when those schools who use it, when did they do it? Well, it varies a lot. As I said, the, the schools um, I mentioned um, in Tottenham, um, they were doing it after the big play in the middle of the day. Um, I've done it when I was working in schools as senior manager. I used to take assembly once a week. I used to do it with the school in assembly, which would be in the morning, just as a little bit as part of it, just a few minutes. You know, there'd be another topic and I'd link it a little bit with that. But it was interesting. I had um, um, children who have come up to me and said, you know what you do in assembly, miss? I do that at night when I can't go to sleep. You know, and it's just this simple going through the body, becoming aware of it. And um, again, with the training I do of professionals um, and, and bringing this into the, uh, the sessions that they run, they're often quite nervous about doing it. And uh, I'm just amazed when they come back and just say the kids really loved it. I mean, at the beginning, the first time you do it, they might get a little bit giggly and uh, it's good to preface that this is something a bit different. And when we do something different, we can get a bit nervous, embarrassed and giggly. But by doing the same exercise and uh, sometimes people feel, oh, it's not exciting enough. But actually doing the same thing each time gives a sense of security. And, um, you know, I'm feeling my toes right now. My toes today are different to how my toes felt yesterday. <laughs> and it's the same for children, you know. And we're all, in, as I said earlier, we're all interested in our bodies, including children. And it's like a whole world of discovery. And it really gives them a sense of being in the present. And as I did touch on earlier, the learning process in the classroom, the engagement with the educational task cannot happen unless children are in the present moment. They're thinking about what happened or worrying what's going to happen. They are preoccupied and they can't focus on the educational task. So I, I do believe, in my experience, certainly, um, um, you know, ha has shown this, that it really helps children to engage with the task that follows up. And uh, as I said in the research, the children also mentioned that, how it helped them get ready for writing. Yeah, so... You can tell I'm a convert. I've been converted for many years. <laughs> and uh, it's great to see a lot of other educational professionals also being, um, you know, converted and taking up mindfulness uh, as a way to work in schools. I think, I think when you've got, you're trying to introduce it, you will have some children will buy in straight away and they will do it. And I think what you'll probably find is those who are engaging with it and getting something out of it, the other children who aren't believers, who are thinking this isn't fun, this isn't, the, they will see the, how it impacts others. And that might be the thing that actually, it might take them a session, it might take them a few sort of times of doing it, but trying this mindfulness before they actually sit there and maybe give it a go and realize the benefits. Yeah, so for some children, it might take a few sessions or a few um, times of doing it. I mean, I don't think there's any belief involved at all. Um, Dale, I know you mentioned believe in it. I mean, I think um, 
when I first introduced it, I used to do it at the end of a PE lesson. And it is like a yoga exercise, you know, and it's like now we lie down and we do relaxation, go through the body. You can describe it in all sorts of different ways. You don't, you know, it's about bringing the children into their bodies, which also, because we can only experience our bodies in the present moment, um, really, that is why it helps us to be in the now. And it is also a byproduct of that is the body becomes more relaxed. Yeah. And, and as you said, is those children who use it at other times, those who use it. And that's what I was saying earlier is you go through this and it gives you a tool that you can use yourself. You sit there and go, oh, how am I feeling? And it helps identify your feelings. And once you know what your feelings are, it helps you then work out how do I deal with these feelings? Because if you're struggling to identify how you feel, and this mindfulness is helping you feel like I'm quite tight, I'm, I must be worried, or, or my mind is racing, which happens, I think my daughters quite a lot, their minds are just buzzing when they go to bed, which is why they struggle sleeping. It's something just to help them calm down and be in the moment, not be in, this is what's going to happen at school tomorrow. I'm going to do this or I'm going to do this after school. It's no, no, it's just come back to tonight and you're lying in bed. And how do you feel? So really useful. Cool. So um, anything else to add about mindfulness and uh, working with sort of children? Well, I would say um, for professionals who are thinking of doing this with children, it's really, really important that, that, you've had some experience yourselves. So um, there are a number of courses. I think there's even one on the NHS now, actually, but there are. there's the eight-week mindfulness program. There's an organisation called Mindfulness in Schools. I've done uh, a bit with them. I think it's very important that whatever we do with the children in this realm, we've experienced ourselves. So um, that that is what I would say. And to keep it very non-judgmental if someone finds it difficult obviously you don't want to be telling that child off you just need to adapt it to the children what they can cope with take it step by step but the main thing is to experience it yourself and as you're leading the mindfulness going through the body do it yourself as well feel your own body at the same time keeping an eye out for how the children are responding you know maybe you need to uh, bring it to an end, complete it, or maybe you could go on a bit longer. So that's the main, That's the, I would say that is the main thing. Get your own experience before you do it with children. That's good advice. So um, thank you for coming on the show today, Tricia. Um, Tricia has given me some links. You're welcome. You've given me some links to share, and I will find those links to Mindfulness in School and the NHS Mindfulness as well, and I'll add those to the show notes, and I'll also be sharing Trisha's contact details. And you can find the show notes on our website, www.thesendcast.com. So thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, please subscribe. You can find the links to subscribe across all the different podcast platforms on our website which is also where you can listen to the podcast. And please follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at The Sendcast. On Facebook, we are The Sendcast. And on Instagram, The Sendcast. If you listen to us through iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review and let others know what you think. Before we go, I would just like to remind you to 
check out the Training for Education website. You'll find a number of the guests on the Sendcast are speakers at our virtual Send conferences, or they have recorded their own training courses. And Trisha was part of, I think, our third conference. And Training for Education is a great way to get CPD for all staff around SEND that is effective and affordable. Visit www.trainingforeducation.com for more information. And as an exclusive gift to Sendcast listeners, you can get 10% discount on the virtual Send conferences, future or past, by using the code Sendcast10. So thank you for listening. We'll be back with another episode of the Sendcast soon. So it's goodbye from me. Yeah, and goodbye from me. Thanks, Dan. Bye.